So as we are here on this Mother's Day and thinking about this, I think this is a, a fitting uh, series for us as we get to Mother's Day because we all know that those women in our lives are full of wisdom, right? They have advice for us to help us, and I think especially um, in our house as we're raising boys and we know that just that men, uh, we think differently, don't we? Right? And those women are there to be like, hey, have you thought about this? And so we're thankful, again, for those women in our lives and just the, the common sense that comes from them and their influence. And, and as, we, as we dive into this, again, we are looking into the wisdom literature. And last week, we laid a foundation for this kind of section of Scripture in the Old Testament. And, and it's kind of full of, of, in some ways, some confusing writing and some different genres of writing. And, and we saw, again, the... Um, the foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes. We looked at the author, the structure, the background, kind of all of those things that are, uh, you know, help us to find the context and to glean everything we need to learn out of the wisdom literature and out of specifically the book of Ecclesiastes as we are studying it. As we looked at that and we saw last week, this is the final conclusion of last week, the summary of the entire book of Ecclesiastes is here in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 where he says, and that's the whole story. And here now is my final conclusion, to fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And as we look at Ecclesiastes, again, it was written by Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, because he had granted him that wisdom, and, and he led Israel to its most prosperous times. And, and as we see that, uh, again, his, his wisdom, right, is, is applied to life. And again, we saw last week, this Book of Ecclesiastes is different than a lot of scripture because it's not a book about God, right? Most of scripture tells us about God, and, and this book is not a book about God. It's a book about human ideas and about how God fits into those, right? And yet this is still a conclusion. He says everything he looks at in life, everything that, that there is um, offered in this world, everything under the sun, he says, is, comes down to the fact that without God, it's completely meaningless, Right? That's the only thing that matters is serving God, right? And, and following God and being in a relationship with God. Everything else comes up empty. And, and as we see that, again, that's where this word comes from, right? And even the title of the series, this word hebel. Hebel is it's a, the Hebrew word, right, that is translated as meaningless in our NLT Bibles, right? That everything is hebel. And again, last week we looked at that, that full definition of where it's, uh, you know, it's mysterious and beautiful and confusing all at the same time. Right? As we see this, though, we have to ask the question, how did he get to this conclusion? Right? How did Solomon get there? And, he, and again, he, throughout the book, he presents several things that we commonly chase after or pursue to find meaning and fulfillment in life. And we can look at our world and our culture today and we see these same things, even though this book was written 3,000 years ago. Right? As we see these things he calls out, these things he, he brings up, right, of ways that we as humans try to fill that God-shaped hole in our life and in our soul. And we, we found nothing, in fact, that's what he says in the book, nothing's new under the sun. Right, that we still pursue these same kind of things, looking for the fulfillment and, and the, you know, the pleasure and, and the, the meaning of life that we all long for. He literally says in the book that he has denied himself nothing of this world. And yet it was all Hebel except for God. 
So for the next several weeks, as we look, work through this series, we're looking at all of these different things that Solomon identifies. All these different things that he chases after. And I'll tell you, these are things that, that we can all um, identify with ourselves. He talks about wealth. He talks about power, justice, every kind of worldly pleasure. And we're going to look at those again through the week as he addresses them throughout the book. And, and today we are going to start with probably the big kind of overarching one that everybody wants. Success. Right? How do I find success in life? And, and yet, as we look at this, this is truthfully one of the most successful people to ever walk the planet. Right? And again, he shows these observations. And, and he makes, throughout the book, he makes this, this comparison. Right, between worldly success, the way that the world defines success, and what godly success looks like. And again, it's, it's just at the core, it's a, it's a definitive difference right, between what God considers success and what the world defines as success. And so today, again, we're going we're gonna to stay and, and read and look through probably the most famous chapter of the, of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is one, as we read it, you'll probably recognize it, even if you didn't know this is where it comes from. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And, and again, we're going to read, start with the first eight verses, but just kind of leave your Bibles open to 3. We're going to come back to it a few different times. Um, but if you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible, their Bible is provided for you in the seat you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers included there the, of where you can find it in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're, we're excited to have you with us, and you can follow along in your Bible as well. Uh, if not, you can just listen as I read it, but we're going to um, start here, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8, where it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Should we all sing the song? Right, as, as we read this, this scripture, right, we, we, again, we recognize it, right? It's one that's used in, in our culture right, in a lot of different ways um, from time to time. But, but yet we also look and, and, and realize right, that, that this is a concept that we struggle with, honestly. Right? There's a time for everything. Because this goes against worldly success, right? Because worldly success always wants the win. Right? The world tells us we're always chasing for the win. And that's that's the only way to be successful. Right? Is, is to be the win. Now, now again, we you know, this is what it's kind of ingrained in us. It's ingrained in our culture, and the world kind of tells us, right? We all want to be winners. Right? And yet, again, I've coached a lot, and, and, you know, especially when the boys were little, especially, you know, coaching six-year-olds in flag football, right? Is there's a time, though, when you have to realize that you don't always get the win, right? Sometimes picking the dandelions is more important than pulling the flag, right? 
And, and we, we, but yet, our world tells us that we always want the win, right? In fact, this is bigger than just sports. I mean, when we think about life, right? We, we always want the win because we want everything to always be profitable. We want it to always be harvest season, right? We need to always be growing. And the only thing that's necessarily worse than always wanting the win is we also want it right now. Right? We, we always want to win. And, and also we can think about our own lives, right, is, is once we get the win, we never let it go. Right? Once we get the win, we take bragging rights very seriously, don't we? Right? And, and again, think about those old sports stories. Right? Think about those good old days, right? Like, like we think about the way we, all, we never let it go. We never stop talking about the win when we get it. The world always wants the win. And, and we believe that. And we live that out, even subconsciously. And yet, look at what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 7 through 10. He says, Extortion turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger, anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days, for this is not wise. Again, he's, he's sitting back and saying, I know you always want the win, but guess what? Going for the win at all costs actually makes you look foolish. It's just not worth it. He says that, right? I mean, he's like, because when we do anything to win, right, we'll end up looking like a fool. Right? Because when you cut corners, when you take the bribe, when you, you know, just start stronger, right? When you outpace your ability, right? I mean, all of it, right? You just end up looking like a fool. And yet we're always willing to make those compromises because we always want the win and we want it now. Right? And this is the way that world, the world defines success. And yet the contrast to that is that Solomon tells us, right, even in this passage that we just read, that the godly success realizes that there are seasons in life. Right, that it's not always harvest season. In fact, in order to get to harvest season, you have to have a time of, of tilling up the ground and of, of planting and of watering in order to get to harvest. Right? There's only one season is harvest. Okay, we, we learn this, right? There's a time for everything, every activity under heaven. There are seasons of life. And we can't always be in the winner's circle. And again, we, we, can, we have that inert drive in all of us, right, that we want to be in the winner's circle and we want to be there all the time. And yet, um, we, we want to forget the fact of all the sacrifice it takes to get there. Yeah, we want it now. And to say whether it's sports, right, whether it's academics, whether it's business, 
whether it's family life, right, whether it's, it's marriage, right, I mean, whether it's parenting, I mean, we look through all of it, and the reality is, like, we all want the highlight reel. And yet we understand, right, from godly wisdom that there are seasons in life and that there, you have to invest and sacrifice and be disciplined to get that moment in the winner's circle. And that's the way it actually works. Again, we see the Super Bowl MVP, right, like picking up the, the trophy every year, and yet we, we don't know anything about the hours of sweat and and sore muscles and studying plays and, uh, and you know, the, the years that goes into that moment. Right? The godly success realizes that there are seasons in life. And, and also, the, the reality of that when we realize that there are seasons in life is, is we also need to realize the fact that it's okay to not always be okay. Right? It's okay to not always be okay. Because the fact that we always want to win means that we always have to be perfect. Right? It's why we walk into church when people are like, how is it going? We always say, life's great, even when it's not. Because we buy the lie that we always have to be great. So you don't. It's okay to not be good. Because there's seasons in life, right? And, and again, the, Solomon tells us, he's like, there will be times, right, when it's time to tear down. There are times to mourn, right? There are times that it's not going to work out, and that's okay. He continues on here past the famous passage, and I want to, you know, go back as we continue to, to dive into the wisdom here. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 9 through 11. As he moves on to the next point about worldly success. He says in verse 9, so what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all, and yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We cannot see the whole scope. And, and again, he, he raises this question here in these verses, right, about this burden that God has placed on us all. So what burden is that? All right, that's a logical question. But yet he, he, he goes in and shows us, though, this, as we seek this worldly success, right, and this burden that we all have, the, 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 world, the fact that worldly success relies completely on results. Again, this is just like the wind, but it's kind of going the next level below that, right? The, the human wisdom longs for success in our work. And if we don't find success from our work, we get frustrated. Right? And, and again, we've, we've even, you know, dubbed a common phrase for, for this, right, that none of us want to deal with. It's called busy work. Right? Again, I'm the first one, I'm at the front of that line, right? I don't want anything to do with busy work. Right? I want to be going somewhere. <laughs> right? I want to make sure that my efforts are actually contributing to something. Right? But yet worldly success you know, relies completely on the results. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, right, he, he says, as he dives deeper into this idea and this thought, he says, this too I carefully explored. 
Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. And there is nothing ahead but death anyways. Isn't that the most encouraging scripture you've ever read? (laughs) Notice... I mean, he's diving into this, and he's like, man, I just, I observe the world. And he's like, the, the reality is, the world stinks. Because right? we all long for the wind, and yet we all get knocked down. In fact, this is this, again, this feeling that we've all felt before. How come the good guy always finishes last? Right? Man, I, I did it right, and yet I got punished for it. Again, we, we've made all of these common phrases in our culture, right? I mean, we, how many times have you said, no good deed goes unpunished? I mean, this is totally exactly the observation he's telling us here, right? And, and yet, this is, is kind of the crux of what is Hebel. Right? Like, it doesn't make any sense, and yet, this is the way it goes, right? It's completely meaningless. So much so that all I want to do is get frustrated and throw up my hands. Right? It's exactly what he identifies here. He says, we see this, right? And that's exactly where it takes us. Because he says, right, for they have no hope. I encourage you to circle that phrase on your outline. Right? Because when we observe this, when we're looking at the definition, the worldly definition of success, when you go down that, right, we, we observe this, and yet that's where it takes us. In fact, that's exactly where the world will take us, to a, where we have no hope. And yet, as followers of Jesus, this does not have to be true in our lives. Right? Because we don't have to be successful in everything we do. Because guess what? God is. Right? We don't have to be successful at things that we know that the cards are stacked against us. The things that we can never get to. In fact, at the most core, that's the core foundation of the gospel message. Right? Is that we cannot save ourselves. So God stepped in our place by sending Jesus. Living a sinless life. Dying on the cross. Rising again on the third day. So we can be saved because we cannot save ourselves. Right? And that is our source of hope. It's not in us at all. Right? Our hope is found in Christ. And the fact that he has overcome the world that gets us knocked down so much. Right? The, the problem with worldly success is it ends up to this place where we have no hope. I'm just going to die anyways. Right? But the message of Christ is, I'll give you hope for eternity. 
And not only for eternity, but also give you hope is when you pray and accept me, let, let Christ into your life and, and receive his love and the grace that he freely offers us, right? When you open yourself up to that and ask Christ into your life and surrender your heart to him, and not only do you get your salvation for eternity, but you also get a purpose in this earthly life. Because he gives us a, a mission to go on. We have hope not for just for eternity, but we also have hope for tomorrow. <laughs> Knowing that God is on his throne and he will, no matter how terrible or chaotic our world gets, it does not change the fact that God wins. Right? And that is our source of hope. And yet we sit back and look at this, and these, you know, we still wonder. We are like, Lord, what are you doing? Right? Because I know that your timing's perfect, but I think this would be a good time for you to do something. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at our headlines, and that's my first thought, right? It's like, Lord, are you ready yet? Because I am. But yet God's timing is way better than ours. Right? He can see more than we can see. Again, which... In contrast to worldly success, we see that godly success looks at the bigger picture. Not just my circumstances in the moment, right? but I'm able through the help of God and through the Holy Spirit opening my eyes and my heart, I can see the bigger picture of what God is doing and the hope that he brings. And even the wisdom that comes from God when he says no to my prayers. Again, I can look back at my life and, and, and genuinely thank the Lord for not answering some of my prayers. Right? Because I get done and I start to, I see things that I didn't see in that moment, right? When I prayed that prayer, when I asked that request. And God's like, Brian, you don't want that. You don't know what you're asking. And I didn't. Right? Godly success sees the bigger picture. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, right after he kind of gets the end of this incredibly depressing, you know, rant in chapter 9, he says, But whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Again, he doesn't give us only hope for eternity. He gives us hope for today and for tomorrow and saying, Oh, I've given you time. Like, use it wisely, right? Do everything you do for the glory of God. And do it to the best of your ability. Right? Because we know that what's in front of us is a piece of the puzzle of the bigger picture of God's plan. Right? And if I'm faithful in that moment, right? if I'm obedient in that moment, if I, if I use the discipline that, that God's granting me in that moment, right, that it will, it will pay off in God's bigger picture plan. Let's continue on in Ecclesiastes 3 to kind of his next point as he compares worldly wisdom. And that's, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. And he says, So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Now, again, there's, we get, like I said, right after a really incredibly 
you know, downturn passage, he, he gives us a little up, right? And, and we see here, right, that, again, that, that we can find joy in life, right? That we have hope, that we can enjoy ourselves, that, that we should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of our labor. And he says, because these are gifts from God. And, and that, that's an incredible key to godly success. Right? And again, the contrast of that, right, is that worldly success completely relies on myself. Right? The burden is, is 100% on my shoulders. Again, just all I got to do to be successful is just work harder. Right? And if it doesn't work, I just need to get a bigger hammer. Right? Or I just need to meet the right people. I just need to come up with a new idea. I, 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 right? It's all on myself. And we carry that burden. That's what the world tells us to do. And yet we see in, again, in Ecclesiastes 10, he kind of pulls out about how, how, how we rely completely on ourselves to find success. Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, he says, Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. Because that's the value of wisdom is it helps you succeed. Again, right? Work harder or work smarter, not harder, right? We didn't know that was biblical wisdom, did we? Right, but it is. Right, yeah, adult acts is hard, so sharpen it. Again, we, we see worldly success, how we, it's all about me, right, and, and working harder. It's all on my shoulders. I carry that burden. But yet, godly success will enjoy the present season. Right, knowing that, that the burden that God has puts on me is light, right, because God has bigger shoulders than I do. And so I can enjoy the season. Right, Ecclesiastes 6, 9, and 10 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. I need to read that sentence again, don't I? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is hebel like chasing the wind. Everything has already been decided. It's known long ago what each person should be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. How many of you can raise your hand and say, yep, guilty, I've argued with God? Uh, I see a few hands. And the rest of you are lying. <laughs> We've all argued with God, haven't we? Right, we have. Right? And yet, again, a lot of times the sources of that argument is, is just wanting, wanting something better than we have right now. Right, and yet, you know, he says, no, just, right, it's, it's all meaningless, right? Unless you're with God, just submit to God and enjoy where he has you. Bloom where you are planted. And trust God for the next season. As, as we see, you know, this worldly sex, success versus godly success, and he concludes it here in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, where he says, And now, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. 
What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Yet who makes things happen? God does. Right, if God's blessing is on it, then we're not going to stop it. And if God's blessing's not on it, it doesn't matter how much effort we put in, no matter how hard we work, no matter what corners we cut or what bribes we take, it's not going to work. Because God makes things happen. Or God doesn't. Again, worldly success says it's all about me and I can, just, I can make it happen. And, and God's like, yeah, how's that, how's that working for you? Right? God is the one that makes things happen. And yet when we realize, right, that, that without seeking the Lord, that, that we cannot necessarily be in the right season of life, right? Because God's the one that makes it happen. He's the one that blesses or doesn't, right? He's the one that, that makes the right connections. He's the one that brings the harvest, and, and then we learn this concept, right, from Solomon as we look at this worldly success versus godly success, that, that, that even if we're doing the right thing, if we're doing it in the wrong season, we will end up with the wrong result. Right? Even if we're doing the right thing, if it's not the season that God has for it, we will end up with the wrong result. And we will not have God's blessing. And as we think about in life, when we think about, you know, um, what we're deciding to do, what we're not going to do, where we're going to go, right? What's, what's the next thing? This concept reminds us that, guess what? My first step and my last step in making those plans needs to be seeking the Lord. Lord, is this the right season? Is your blessing on it because it's God who blesses it or it's God that doesn't. And if we just force our way through a door that God is trying to close, guess what? <laughs> it's going to be the wrong result. And the same is true as if we don't walk through a door that God has opened, right? We're going to end up with the wrong result. The right action, even in the wrong season, will still get us the wrong result. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Accept the way that God does things, for he can straighten what he, what he has made crooked. Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. And remember that nothing is certain in this life. He's saying we will have ups and we will have downs. Right? We'll have the, the victory right, and the, the high peaks of life, and we will have those times in the dark valley. And that God will take us through that, because the reality, right, is it's the times through the dark valley is where we learn our biggest lessons, right? It's where God molds our character, and it's where we, we learn to be the people that God needs us to be, right, to get to the next mountain peak, right? And that, again, those, those moments of victory, when they're there, they are sweet, Right, but it's never sweeter than when it's 100% in God's will and in his blessing. 
Right? And when we think about this world, think about our life, think about the things that we're chasing, right? As people of God, we cannot buy the lie from the world, right? That it's only the winning season that, that matters because that's just simply not true, right? God does have a plan for us. God does love you, but he also loves you enough to not leave you the same, right? And if it's always harvest season, then we'll never grow, right? And, and if, if it's always just about the win, right, then this, because the, the truth is that this world is full of a lot more losers than it is winners, but yet we serve the ultimate winner, right? The one who's on the throne, who, who wears the crown, who is sovereign over all creation, right? Who ultimately wins in the end, and that is God. He is the one who's in control, right? He is guiding our steps. And again, the world tells us to, to turn to ourselves and we can do it on our own, and yet God says, I know you can't, so just let me in. Right? It starts the most foundational thing is with our salvation, right? Of, of, of opening our heart and our mind and our life to Christ and asking him to come in. Right? And then it's a daily journey, right? Of, of, of following what God asks us to do through every season, right? Through the, the high moments and through the dark times of knowing that even though they all come, that God never leaves our side. Again, I don't know where you're at in life today. I don't know where your journey looks like. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're trying to do life on your own and trying to have, let the world define your success. And if that's where you are, I hope you will open your life and your heart and your mind to Jesus today. And if you are walking with Jesus already, you, you uh, know that, again, are we sur surrendered to him? Are we submitting to his authority? Are we following his plan? Right, and his seasons of life? Are we putting in the work that it takes to not just be successful, but to truly grow in our faith? And this is my final thought for you today, and it's this. Success can be a big motivation to keep journeying, but without God, it will be hebel. What role does God have in your goals? Right, I hope you have goals. I hope you have goals for your faith, for your life, for your career, for your family, right? I hope you have goals, but are they God-centered goals? Have you asked God what he wants you to accomplish, what he will bless? Right? Are you following his leading? Are you being obedient to what he's telling you to do? Again, I don't know what the next step of your journey is, but I hope you'll take it today. Lord, we praise you today for stepping in where we fall short. God, we thank you, God, that we don't have to carry the burden of life and of success on our shoulders. God, that you carry that burden for us. And God, as we go this week, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to continually look to you for guidance. Look to you for the definition of success in our life. Look to you for what season we're in. Lord, for what the next step of our journey is. And God, that we would fulfill that 100% according to your will. God, we pray that you would bring success into our lives. But God, that it would be on your season and for your purpose, not to exemplify ourselves, but to glorify you. And God, through that success, we pray, Lord, that this world would see who you are through our lives and through our faith. God, help us to live out our faith every day, to help others find you, 
God, and, to, and that we can all grow together. Lord, guide us as we go this week, as we live out our identity as your child. We submit to your authority and we show this world how much you love us by how we love each other. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.